Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 199. I cannot say that with a straight face. And uh, here we are. So let's make an episode, shall we? And this one is called, You Will See My Hind Parts. <laughs> you know what? Just pause your Robcast player device machinery right now and just say that to yourself or if somebody is nearby just say to them you will see my hind parts and then when they say to you what are you talking about say oh i'm just quoting from the bible <laughs> that is the lamest setup that's like a third grade joke uh and it's actually true. You will see my hind parts. The name of this episode is a line from the Bible. And obviously, you can imagine when I was looking through the Hebrew words of the verse that this comes from and realized that the word translates uh, hind and that there are translations where instead of the word back, it's the word hind. So literally, you will see my hind parts. There are versions of the Bible where that's the line. And the thing that's so great about it is it's a line that apparently God says. So it's from the book of Exodus, and this is God and Moses have going, been going back and forth. Remember, these are stories that people told thousands of years ago to make sense of things. So anytime somebody says, well, I, I don't have any use for that ancient, you know, all those primitive stories, uh, especially the kind where God gets anthropomorphized, you know, God has hands and feet and changes God's mind and all that. I would just simply say, are you interested in questions about the ultimate nature of the universe? Are we living in a cold, dark place? Or is it a place of endless, overflowing generosity, generativity, and creativity? Is love the ground of our being? Or are we truly alone? You see what I mean? These questions that human beings have been asking for thousands of years, we're still asking the same questions. So whenever somebody comes to a passage in the Bible with like, well, I, I don't think God is like that. Well, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. This is how people told stories at that time. And this is how people wrestled with the biggest questions of what it's all about. And when you have new ideas emerging, when you have consciousness heightening, when you have people opening up and expanding into new ways of seeing who they are and what it means to be human and what it means to be a neighbor and what it means to be a citizen of the world, well, one of the main ways we've been doing this for thousands of years is we tell stories that reflect our growing understandings. My word, where did this riff come from? I'll tell you right now, this was not in the notes. <laughs> but anyway, this line, you will see my hind parts, comes from the book of Exodus. Moses is leading these former slaves. They're slaves, these Hebrews, these Israelites, they're slaves in Egypt, and they're liberated from their slavery. And now they're journeying through the wilderness. And there's this back and forth because Moses, is a, he's a reluctant leader. Because he's really like, seriously, these people, I don't want to lead these people. But eventually, he's like, okay, I'll do it. But the question that keeps coming up for Moses is he's supposed to be speaking to these people about this God who's liberated them, who's different than the other gods. But Moses has all sorts of questions. So he's saying things like, like verse 30, uh, chapter 33, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways 
so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. It's like Moses is reminding God. These people have been liberated. They're former slaves trying to find a new identity, a new life. Um, Teach me here. Show me how I'm supposed to lead these people or what you're even like. Clearly, you're not like the gods of Egypt who were fine with that slavery arrangement. So at the heart of this, is the birth of a new understanding because the Exodus story is about the divine who can hear the cry of the oppressed and acts on behalf of the oppressed to liberate them from whatever oppresses and enslaves them. So in Egypt, life is ordered a particular way. The Egyptians owned the Israelites and used them. That's literally a line from Exodus chapter one. They were used them like you'd use an animal or a tool or an object, used them to build their empire. And then there's a disruption. This God hears the cry of these slaves and acts on their behalf to liberate them. So once again, the story is unusual because it insists that in time and space, there are forces greater than the forces of oppression and injustice. And this story was radical because it insisted that when you cry out, the cry is a disruption. And when you hit rock bottom, when you crash into the wall, when you're at the end of yourself, you are opening yourself and you cry out, you are opening yourself up to forces beyond yourself. Essentially weak is the new strong. You are strongest when you come face to face with your weakness. And so Moses is going back and forth with this God in this story. Like, what are you like? Like, what is going on here? Teach me your ways. And then uh, God keeps insisting, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. By the way, baked into the story the whole way along is Sabbath. Because in Egypt, they worked every day, all day. When you're a slave, your worth and value comes from how many bricks you produce, how much work you get, the bottom line, how efficient you are, how productive you are. And from the moment these people are liberated, what this God keeps insisting is take one day to rest, to play, to be recreated. Take one day a week, uh, get, get some rhythm. Get a six-in-one rhythm to your life. Take one day a week to remind yourself that you are not a human doing, you're a human being. Take one day a week to remind yourself that you're not a machine, that you're not the cog, a cog in a wheel. Take one day a week to remind yourself that your worth and value do not come from how many bricks you produce. And so again and again, every time Moses says to this God, what do you like? Teach me your ways. This God is saying, okay, first off, I'll be with you. So trust me here. I'll be with you. And remember, like it says here, I'll give you rest. It's almost like this God keeps insisting there's a new way to be human. There's a new way to be human where you have a rhythm of life where you aren't just going all the time, where your worth and value don't come from how many bricks you produced. Once again, by the way, isn't it fascinating how a story thousands of years ago has all of these edges for the world that we live in? How quickly we get sucked up in the machine, how quickly our egos get attached to our, and our identity formed 
by how efficient we are, how well we perform. And from the beginning, this God is like, I liberated you when you were at your worst, when you were powerless, when you cried out. And now keep remembering that grace. And so uh, Moses has more questions in chapter 33. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And then Moses says, now show me your glory. Essentially, he says, uh, show me your kavod. Like, show me who you are. Show, show me some boundaries and edges. Show me just how, how big you are, how powerful you are, how mighty you are, because that's how the gods were measured. And then God says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And then uh, later, God says, there's this place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. <laughs> so that's where the, you will see my hind parts come from, is uh, Moses keeps saying, show me, I need to understand, teach me, show me your boundaries, your edges, your size, volume, mass. Like I need to know who are, who is this being and how does this work and who are you? And what he's told is, uh, my goodness will pass by you. And then when I pass by you, my glory will pass by you, whatever that looks like. And you will only be able to see my back. Now, back translates in Hebrew, hind. So you'll only be able to see my hind parts. Although the rabbis had this fascinating midrash or commentary on the story where they said, it's as if God says, the best you're going to be able to do is you can see where I just was. <laughs> I know, I know something, isn't it? So uh, a bit of context. In the ancient Near East at this time, gods were represented by statues, idols, carvings, broad, bronze, wood, stone. So uh, the god of fertility, the god of the harvest, the god of abundance, the god of rain, the goddess, uh, the goddess of the sun, the goddess of the moon, the goddess of the stars, the goddess of cycles, the goddess of... Uh, power, the goddess of war, the god of, you had these gods and goddesses all around you. And so for your different dimensions of life, you had a god, a statue that you would bow down to, that you would pay homage to, you would offer sacrifices to, to keep uh, essentially the favor of that god on your side. And then gods were generally localized deities, which means when you went to a new area, you would ask, what is the God of uh, this area? What is the God of that area? And so in people's minds, their understanding of the deepest forces of life, where these forces were represented by statues, which obviously had boundaries and forms, objects that you carved and made yourself, and then these forces were located in specific geographical regions. This is why the Exodus story is so interesting is because these people are in the wilderness and the wilderness is code. So the journey in the wilderness, wilderness means a space that hasn't already been co-opted by an institution or a government or some other body or entity. So the wildness of the wilderness is where this divine shows up. 
And this God keeps insisting this God is the God of the whole world. This God is different. And what this God does instantly is says, no statues, no graven images, no idols, because this God has no edges, shape, or form. See, most of the possessions in your life, most of the things in your life have edges, shape, and form. The desk I'm sitting at, the shirt you're wearing, your body, there's a place where it starts and the place where it ends. It has an outline, it has a shape, volume, mass. This divine keeps insisting, no, I have no boundaries or edges. At one point when Moses says, what is your name? This divine simply says, I am. (laughs) That's my name. Being itself boundaryless, infinite, borderless, edgeless, volumeless, massless, pure, unadulterated being itself. This is source, the thing behind the thing, the thing from which everything else flows. You can see why this idea When you're used to standing over a statue or an idol, when you're used to saying, well, we're trying to get pregnant, so we come to this statue that represents fertility, and we offer or say the prayer, we do everything you do, go through the rituals and the rites, or, oh, our animals are sick, so we go to the god of the goddess of health and animal kingdom and crops and abundance and harvest, and we offer whatever. You're used to standing over and essentially offering slash manipulating these beings That was the current understanding. And then along comes this idea of I am, source itself, that from which all things flow. And where they encounter this is Sinai in the wilderness, in a place that isn't owned and co-opted by any sort of earth system, any sort of human institution that they have encountered before, which is interesting because the you will see my hind parts, that line comes the chapter after the chapter about the golden calf, which is when Moses is up on the mountain, the people all chip in and have a golden calf made up, which is essentially, we're tired of this abstract, conceptual, what? I am? That's the name of this God? Can't we just have our old gods, it was so much easier when everything was more black and white. It was so much easier when it was clear what you do. And it was so much clear, this is what's required of you. So could we just, so there's this whole incident where they make a golden calf and then bow down to it, essentially uh, as a way of saying, this new understanding this new consciousness. It's almost like saying we're getting pushed too far here. We'd prefer to go back to the old understandings because they're so much more simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see where these ancient stories have all sorts of sticking points for the world that we live in. You go through a bit of difficulty, a little disruption, a little disequilibrium, and the impulse, can we just go back to how it was? Can't we just go back to when everything was so much more simple? And so Moses keeps going back and forth with this God. What is this, all this waiting and mystery and I am, what? It's like Moses needs assurances. He needs guarantees. Give me something solid. 
I can wrap my arms around. I can wrap my mind around. And so essentially God says, my goodness, my glory will pass by you. I'll hide you in this cleft in the rock. I will pass by me, you, and the best you'll see is my back. The best you'll see is where I just was. You want to see me? You want to see me? <laughs> it's like Robert De Niro. You want to see, you want a piece of this? You want to see me? You will see my hind parts. Or as the rabbis say, the best you're going to be able to do is see where I just was. <laughs> I know, what a great story. Now, there are a number of ways to, uh, to uh, interact with an approach and read a story like this. But what I'd like to do here is offer a reading of the story that deals with the nature of spiritual experience. So this is more of a meditation on this story as it shows us a number of truths <coughs> Uh, excuse me, about the nature of spiritual experience. So I want to talk about three different dimensions. First, what Moses sees and doesn't see. Then I want to talk about what Moses can bear. And then I want to talk about the nature of the experience that Moses has when the divine passes by and you will see my hind parts. By the way, that phrase... You know, like sometimes you'll go into somebody's house and they'll have like a Bible verse on like a pillow or a refrigerator magnet, or like you'll see sometimes people out in public and they'll have like t-shirts with like Bible verses on them. If you're going to like do that thing and like plaster Bible, bumper sticker Bible verses, do like a proper one. You know what I mean? Like you will see my hind parts, Exodus 20, wait, Exodus 33, 23, or people... uh especially this used to happen a long time ago, people would say, would after like an event, they'd say, will you sign my Bible? I don't even know what, where that comes from. And will you put, or people would say, would you sign this book of yours, but will you put in, you know, your favorite verse? Uh, and I would always put, uh, for favorite verse, I'd put like uh, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 22, which is the, the one about, uh, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to its folly, just because I pictured the person going home and being like, I wonder what his favorite verse is, and then opening up, being like, a dog and vomit, what? But this, like, put this one, like, favorite verse, you will see my hind parts. Uh, I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this, am I not? Um, now, let's go back here. Three ideas. First, uh, Moses sees and he doesn't see. So the whole point of the story is this Moses gets a glimpse, but he gets a glimpse of, of the back. And once again, obviously, I read this very metaphorically, uh, very mythically. Um, I read this uh, as a mystic, essentially. So when people are like, was it an actual back? When I, was, it the, was it the gluteus maximus? Was it the uh, hamstring? I, I don't read the story like that. I read it as in the ancient world, and to this day, actually, people told stories in which they gave the divine or their understanding of the deepest forces of life, human characteristics, because, and if you're thinking, well, that sounds, well, we don't do that anymore. Yeah, we do, because you keep talking about what Mother Nature's doing. So we still do that. Um, but what's interesting about the story is that Moses gives a glimpse, but the glimpse is a real glimpse, but it also reveals that which is unglimpsed. It's a story about a divine who says, I can be known, but 
everything that can be known brings with it an acute sensitivity to the unknown. It's like there's two things happening here. You will see me, but what you'll see will be a great deal of unseen. The story is about how Moses sees and he also doesn't see. It's like an answer, but it's an answer that creates, and you know exactly where this is going, a whole new set of questions. It's like a revealing, but it's a revealing that is a revealing, but one of the things that it does is it reveals how much is hidden. So, the nature of spiritual experience is that you are given a glimpse, and it's a real glimpse. It's a knowing. It's an experience. It's sight. It's fact. It's truth. But it brings with it the unknown, the unrevealed, the hidden, that which you don't know yet. And the reason why this is so important is, especially now, it's sort of in the air, the zeitgeist is lots of people taking apart things. And this word deconstruction is sort of a buzzword, people taking apart. They were handed a way of viewing the world, and now they're taking it apart. Is oftentimes what happens is when people have been surrounded by certainty and told, here it is, here's the truth, and that no longer works, they often then leave that sense of certainty conviction, the known, the revealed, the glimpsed, and go to the other side of the polarity, which is mystery, unknown, unrevealed, unglimpsed. And so what you'll often find is people saying things like, I just don't know anything anymore, or all I have is questions. And this can be uh, an, an important release valve, especially if you've come out of a uh, tradition or a worldview, where it's whether it's academic, whether it's spiritual, whether it's psychological, that uh, maybe you came out of a world where everything was very nailed down and everything was very specific, is the natural response is to go the other direction and be like, I don't know, it's all mystery. But the truth is, when people say, like, I don't know anything anymore, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So when you find yourself bouncing back and forth, the nature of spiritual experience is it's a polarity. It's two hands, the known and the unknown, the revealed and the unrevealed. And true spiritual maturity is when you're holding both of these and you're okay with the tension between them. Sometimes you're over here, sometimes you're over here, but you have two hands and you hold these two you could say ends of the spectrum, or I think more like these polarities, you hold them at the same time. So when you find yourself overwhelmed by all the things that you don't know, overwhelmed by all the mystery, overwhelmed by all the questions, there are things that you do know. It's better to be generous. Would you agree? Is the world made better through people being stingy or th being generous? Or... Uh, do you think it's better when more people are included or when more people are excluded and left out? Or do you think it's better to forgive people? Or in your experience, has life been better when you held on to that bitterness and you nursed it and you fed it 
and you held it close to your heart? Has your experience been that the bitterness and the wound of being wronged, the longer you held onto it, the better your life got? Or has your experience been, no matter how difficult it was, if you took even tiny steps to forgive somebody, that's the better path? Do you think it's better that people live from their true self? Or do you think it's better that people uh, pretend and act and try to live out other people's versions of themselves? Yes, exactly. You, you, you have strong opinions about this. Of course, you have strong opinions about this. So perhaps you right now are in one of those, I don't know anything, it's all mystery, uh, it's all questions. Yeah, that's very important to, to acknowledge that and to be present in all that. Yep, but I would, I would bet you also have some answers. I would bet there are also a number of things that you don't want anything to do with. So there are convictions there. There are truths there. There are deeply held beliefs there. And that's absolutely necessary. And you'll also find people sometimes when they're taking things apart, like it doesn't matter, I mean, it doesn't matter what, what you believe anymore. No, you're just responding to beliefs that were bad beliefs, destructive beliefs, beliefs that weren't even true, that were held with a white-knuckled fear and anxiety. You're responding to distorted beliefs not held well. But beliefs are incredibly important. Beliefs and convictions, that's obviously where the idea of doctrines and dogmas come from, which in their health ground you and center you. So you think about doctrines about giving your life for the well-being of the world. Doctrines about death and rebirth. Doctrines about the Trinitarian nature of the universe. It's a dynamic, flowing, generative universe with endless diversity and creativity. Yeah, yeah. When you hold these sorts of convictions, you begin to live in different ways. Life is better for you and those around you. So it's important to understand at the core of spiritual experience, there is the known and the unknown, and we hold these in tension. Sometimes we're over here, sometimes we're over here. And if we find ourselves tilting too far in one direction, we're too far into certainty and rigidity. It's helpful to remember that Jesus said things like, spirit is like the wind. <laughs> I love that. Of all the images, Spirit is like a concrete building. Nope. Uh, spirit, right? Spirit is like a giant forest filled with massive trees. Nope. What does he say? Spirit is like wind. Now, what's interesting about something like that that Jesus said is it is both a truth and it is both something you can sink your teeth into. You can take your stand on that. That can become a deeply held conviction, but it also has within it all sorts of room to move and dance and sway and bend. It is both a deeply held truth and conviction, and it also has all sorts of room for the unknown, the mysterious, and the unglimpsed. So what we see here with Moses is this is a genuine spiritual experience in which something is revealed to him, goodness, glory,
presence. These are the big words in the passage. It's a passage about a human being having an unmediated experience of the divine, something he can trust, something he can know, and yet it brings with it a world of weirdness and strangeness and mystery and questions, and that's how spiritual experience works. So, so maybe you have found yourself drifting without a center, uh, overwhelmed with the mystery of it. One of the ways to sort of get your compass back on is simply to say, what do I know? What has been revealed to me? What can I take a stand on? And interesting things like language, like you need to take a stand. What can I take a stand on? Oh, well, spirit, generosity, forgiveness, nonviolence. There are lots and lots and lots of things. Is it better to make rush judgments about people or to wait and ask questions? and find out where they're coming from, and hear a bit more about their story. Is your experience that the best practice is to exclude the other, anybody not like you, to simply dismiss them, or to go in with the assumption that this person, the other, the one who you can't possibly see one thing you might have in common, or to go in as a student to assume that even this person is my teacher, and to go in with an open, I wonder what will be here for me in this encounter? Yes, of course, much better ways to live. Yeah, you can trust that. You can stand on that. The nature of spiritual experience is that it combines, that it includes both what you see and you don't see, the known and the unknown, the answer and the questions. Now, secondly, what's really fascinating to me about the story is when Moses is told, you will see my back, you will see my hind parts, or you know what the best you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to see where I just was. It's as if the divine is saying, I'm only going to let you experience what you can handle. You know what I mean? Like You can't handle the truth. It's like, if you were to be blasted with the full presence, seriously, Moses, you wouldn't survive. Trust me, you're going to thank me later for this one. You know, it's like where I just was is going to be about the most you're going to be able to handle. Now, the reason why this is so pressing and personal for me is think back, let's go back five years, let's go back 10 years. Do you see the world exactly like you did 10 years ago? Do you have all the same answers that you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Uh, do, are, you, are you wearing the same pair of glasses? And I would assume you would say, oh my word, no way. If I were to say to you, man, if we could have interviewed you 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, about all of the, the, the most pressing topics of your life, and then we were to play that interview now, would you be watching it going, nice one, oh yeah, I'm on fire there, ooh, good point, or would you be like, oh dear God, <laughs> Oh my word, I thought I was on it, but this is just, this is hard to watch, right? A friend of mine from college just sent me apparently a video clip of 
I'm about to watch it. Interestingly enough, even that I'm bringing it up, I haven't watched it. I've had it for a day because I'm like, man, do I want to hear myself talking at 19? I don't know. That might be a little painful. So then think about it. How did you get from there to here? Well, you had experiences. You saw things. You heard things. You tasted things. You read things. You had these experiences that properly opened you up and disrupted you. You picked up some things along the way. You got knocked around. You took some shots. You fell down. You stumbled. Uh, So whether it was beautiful, illuminating, transcendent, euphoric experiences, or it was you lost it all. Uh, You got punched in the face. Uh, They took the money and ran. Uh, She said she never wanted to see you again. Um, The doctor said, I have bad news. Whatever it is, it took years for those new understandings to take root. They're like seeds. They had to be planted. Think about how many ways that you see the world now. The first time that idea sort of came across your dashboard, you were like, what is that person going on about? And now, how many have had this experience? Years later, you're like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Man, at the time, I was just not ready for it. So let's pick a number. Let's pick the last seven years. Let's pick who you were seven years ago, and then let's think about how you are right now and how much you've picked up, how much expansion, how much growth, how much maturity, how much more grounded and centered you are. Think about that wealth of experience. Now, let's take all of that that unfolded over the past seven years, and instead of having it unfold over seven years, let's just have it all come at you at the same time. (laughs) Let's take the past 15 years of new insights, and let's give them all to you at the exact same time. I would melt. My mainframe would just go up and smoke. (laughs) I, uh... I was, in, uh, I was in Portland a couple weeks ago, and Kristen and I were at the Portland Art Museum, and I came across a Van Gogh. I love any, anything about or by Van Gogh just does something to me. It's not even really a style of painting. It's Van Gogh himself. Irving Stone wrote a biography about Vincent Van Gogh called Lust for Life. I cannot recommend this book enough. It's, I, I swear I've underlined, I've read it so many times and I've underlined it so many times. It's about a painter, but it's about doing something with your life. I mean, that is, even that isn't, isn't an adequate explanation. This book means so much to me and Van Gogh means so much to me. And I literally walked by a Van Gogh and Kristen was like, you realize you just walked by a Van Gogh. Once again, she's been a step ahead for 24 years. So I stopped and went back and was like, wait, this is like a Van Gogh. I literally stood there for five minutes saying to Kristen, look, there's a Van Gogh. Like I could, I could break the law and touch it right now. I'm like six inches from an actual Van Gogh. Van Gogh, I'm like doing all the stuff morons do in art museums. Um, but I swear to you, I don't know how long on a Sunday morning I stood in front of that Van Gogh. It was almost more than I could bear just to take in that it's the ox painting, in case you are wondering. The ox and cart. It's like dark. It's almost like got browns in it. It's like heavy but light. Oh, you could just that painting. 
like one painting is all I could take in for that 10, 20, 30 minutes, whatever that was standing there. Yeah, think about your past nine years. Think about the biggest things you've learned in the past 13 years. Yeah, if it all came at you at once, it'd be more, it, it, it would melt, it would fry your circuits. You'd be a wreck, you'd be a puddle on the floor. So the nature of spiritual experience is you want all the answers. You want it to all be clear. You don't want the wrestling and the struggle and the wondering and the question, the, the sense of hesitant questioning, the sense of, I don't know where this is going or what to do next or all of this. You, you don't want that. But what is the other option? That suddenly you've arrived? Yeah, that would sear you to the bone the way that it works is you are given the next thing that you can bear. You're shown enough. It's like enough to open you up, enough to poke and prod you, enough to disrupt you. It's like you're shown enough to op- to blow your mind <laughs> or to show you the next step. But you're not shown more because you couldn't handle it. So that you will see my hind parts It's a profound truth about the nature of spiritual experience, which I think is also interesting because the passage, the story earlier is you'll see my goodness. Perhaps the goodness in this story is the divine saying, I'm so good, I'm not going to give you all the answers because if I gave it to you all at once, you couldn't handle it anyway. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it it would be too much. I think about the things that have happened. I was profoundly disappointed three months ago. Something that, the more I was honest about it, something that I wanted, I was denied. And it, 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 uh, it was profound disappointment. And I remember in day one or two, end of, I would at least a day in, day two, day three, I remember thinking, this, this is just too hard to carry around. I need to think about this differently. There's something I am being rescued from. This is not something I wanted to happen that didn't happen. This is something that I wanted to happen that if it would have happened later, I'd be like, I wish that wouldn't have happened. And let, I need to turn this around and say, I've been spared something that I thought I wanted, but if I'd gotten it, I would have realized I didn't want it. So I shifted it. And every time I began to feel that sorrow and disappointment, I would like try to run it through that grid. I'm just going to assume that later I'm going to be glad it went this way. But that insight and then the daily practice of every time I started to feel that disappointment and sadness rising, like converting it or taking it in this column and putting it over in this column. Uh, maybe it's like it, like taking it from the right pocket and putting it in the left pocket. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever visual helps. Uh, but that like took significant reflection, meditation, surfing. <laughs> that took uh, spiritual direction. That took a number of conversations with Kristen and a couple of other people. Uh, that, that, that took something. So when Moses gets a glimpse, I get that. I get that. Man, 
the most basic lessons often take everything I've got. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm forever a rookie. I uh, That alone blew my mind. One Van Gogh painting, and I'm not moving for a half hour, just standing there. So this thing that happens where Moses, you, the best you can do is see where I just was. Uh, you could read the story as, what a cruel God who keeps teasing him. Uh, you could read the story as, ah, it's like he's just messing with him. Like, come on, give him the juice. I, I, no, that is the juice. That is the mojo. That is the gift. You could have a glimpse. And a glimpse is, uh, that'll keep you plenty busy. I often, I often especially in Q&As, people will ask questions about, you know, they, they, questions that are basically, I need to get through all this so that I can be at this other place. Um, but what they often demonstrate in the question, the sense of impatience, the sense of I need my life to happen faster, I need to accomplish this more, I need to be at this other place that I'm not, and just tell me how to get there, um, is oftentimes in the question, I'll notice this, the person also, there's a question behind the question, which is some pressing matter that has them disrupted, has them disturbed, and you just begin to dance with that a little bit, and quite quickly, I'll find that the person is like, I'll say something like, seems like that's enough for right now, isn't it? And the person, it's, it's awesome. It's like almost every time they'll be like, oh yeah, this is enough. It's like you want the whole meal and you're having trouble, you know, getting your fork in the salad. Like, hold on. The way that it works is probably not big dramatic moments on top of the mountain. Although the story is about a dramatic moment on top of a mountain, even the big dramatic moment on top of a mountain is a glimpse just enough to reassure Moses, to blow his mind, to calm him. It's, it's basically just the one thing he needs to take the next step. It's probably less big over-the-top dramatic moments and more the day-by-day -day revealing of the next step to take. Yeah, yeah, so that you will see my hind parts becomes uh, an act of grace. I can't show you the whole thing. You couldn't handle it, but we can show you the next thing. Yeah, yeah, especially those of you who are trying to figure out the next two years, the next five years. Uh, I don't think you want to see the next five years. I don't even think you want to see the next year. I think it, I think I think those desires we have, we're good modern people. We want the whole thing. We want to kill all the mystery. I don't think you want to see it all. I think it would ruin the joy of it. Especially the things that are coming up that are heartbreaking. I think they would overwhelm any goodness that you'd get to see. I don't think you want a vision of the future. I think what you want is enough light to take the next step. That's what you want. Okay. One more. Moses sees and doesn't see. What Moses can and can't bear. Now, the third third dimension, third meditation on the nature of spiritual experience. Moses has an experience here. And that's the most <laughs> straightforward observation possibly. Moses has an experience. Now, the thing about the nature of experience is the moment you analyze an experience and try and name it and figure out what it is, you are no longer in the experience having the experience, but you are standing outside of the experience. So the nature of our glimpses of the depth, the glory, the kavod, the presence, the goodness, the hind parts, <laughs> 
Look at me. I just keep sticking it in somehow. The hind parts. I keep jamming that phrase into every sentence I can. The nature of the most transcendent, joyous, meaningful experiences of life is to remain in them. What your mind wants to do is analyze, understand, or more accurately, stand over the experience. And this is why for many people, uh, for many people, the word religion is a negative word. It doesn't have to be. Is their only encounters were people talking about the experience, analyzing the experience, standing outside of the experience. But that was never the goal. The point, the joy is in the experience. So the real art to a spiritual vision of life is the discipline. Uh, it's almost like a muscle that you're learning to use. To simply let the experiences be the experiences and to hold off on the impatient rush to figure out what it is and where it fits. It's as if in pinning down the butterfly, once you fully pin down the butterfly, you're able to study all of those intricate designs and patterns on the wings. But the moment you've pinned down the butterfly so that it's still and you can study all of the intricate beauty on the wings is the moment in which the butterfly can no longer fly. So the challenge, that the invitation is to keep the butterfly flying. Now, now here's what I mean. Uh, a friend of mine recently tells me that he was at lunch with a spiritual leader in his city. And this uh, spiritual leader, who has a number of people who follow this man, kept saying to my friend, yes, but what side are you on? What camp are you in? And nothing that my friend said could, it was, it was like a, a dog who'd bitten into an ankle, you know what I mean? He was like, not gonna let go of, I know, but what side are you on? That's a nice story, but which camp are you in? For him, the experience of life had to be broken down. And my friend was saying it was so interesting because this guy, for him, anything that happened had to be immediately named, labeled, and he found it terribly uneasy that my friend didn't have nice, neat, precise categories. Well, are you in this camp or are you in this camp? What camp? What? what how, how are we suddenly camping? And by that, what he meant is it isn't enough to have a profound experience of the love of the divine. You need to also align yourself then with a particular intellectual tradition that names it this, this, and this over and against that tradition, which names it that, that, and that. Now, obviously, busy, uh, being busy naming. Naming can be very important. And obviously, when somebody names an experience you've had and they give it language, what a gift that can be. But that naming can also become a way to miss, to avoid, to inhibit your experiences is so busy naming that we're missing 
It's like so busy trying to figure out whether this is emo or EDM or punk or jazz. Although if you're confused about something being one of those four, we have a problem. It's that thing when people are hear some music and the first thing they're doing is trying to tell you what band they think it sounds like. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. The point of this listening to this band is not to try and figure out what other bands this band sounds like. The reason why these people made this music is so that you would turn it up and you would hear it. Not just hear it, but hear it. There's this, uh, and, and when this first began to make more sense to me was uh, the first time, or maybe it was the second or third or fourth time I watched Martin Scorsese's film on uh, Bob Dylan, No Direction Home. Cannot recommend that enough. After you finish Lust for Life, go watch Scorsese's film on Bob Dylan. And there's this one scene where Bob Dylan is in England, and he has recently plugged in and gone electric, which was a huge deal at that time. And he's doing this uh, press conference with British media. And he's like Bob Dylan. You know what I mean? Uh, do I need to say more? And the British press are like very uh, proper. They're all in suits. And they're asking him questions. And the questions are like, you know, when did you stop doing protest songs? And Dylan has these lines, you know, like, uh, I don't know, something like, you know, who said I ever started doing protest songs? Or he's just like, he's having none of it. Why do you think the young people like your music? Something like that. Um, and what's so interesting when you watch it is Dylan is like, he's like Adams in motion. He's, he's this Bob Dylan, not that Bob Dylan. He'll be a different Bob Dylan in a little while. He's, he's just going after the experience. It's like spirit moving through space and time. And then there's this British media that are like desperately trying to place these templates upon the experience of Bob Dylan. Are you this or are you this? Why is this? Why, they're trying to take these very bulky, stilted, fixed understandings and sort of jam him into these things. And it's just not working. Just not working. Yeah. And oftentimes, there's this thing that you just experienced. There's a happening. You just tasted something. And something within you wants desperately to figure out what it is. And part of the path is learning to just let it be what it was. We may name it later. And actually that work, analyzing, we're not against that. It's only a problem when it gets in the way of the experience itself. It's only a problem when you're spending more time stressing about your kid than you are spending enjoying the fact that you even have a kid. It's only a problem when you're spending more time trying to figure out where your kid is headed and are they going to be successful and are they going to represent you well. And it's only a problem when that gets in the way of, I have a kid. We made a human being. When you lose the wonder and awe that you got to be part of this human being coming into the world. Yeah, yeah, there's the experience and then there's 
all of the analyzing and stressing and trying to categorize. And what you see with Moses here is, oh, you want an experience? Fine. You can, the best you can do is where I just was. This, in some ways, this is the divine being going, I will never fit in your doctrines. I will never fit within the fixed borders of your comprehension. I will never fit in your systematic theology. I will never fit within the walls of your church or your religion. I will never shrink down to a size in which you can intellectually get your mind around the borders and edges. That's not going to happen. So make peace with the dynamism, with the movement, with the fact that here's what I can give you. I can give you where I just was. You will see my hind parts. Oh, and what have people been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? Trying to jam their experiences of the infinite into these preordained categories that fit what they can, what's safe, and what they can fully comprehend. Oh, yeah, no, it's... Oh, as long as we're at it, have you seen Judd Apatow's new documentary? What is this, the recommendation episode? Judd Apatow made a documentary about his beloved friend Gary Shanling, a legend of a comedian. Uh, and if you don't know Gary Shanling, I don't even know where to start, other than please go buy the full box set of The Larry Sanders Show, and you'll be like, oh my word, Gary Shanling was years and years ahead of everybody years ago. Anyway, this new documentary on HBO uh, that Judd put together of the life of Gary Shandling, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, it's, it will completely, oh, it's so moving. It just, it's still with me. It just stays with you for weeks on end. But there's this scene where Ricky Gervais, you know, office out, uh, extras, that Ricky Gervais, um, that Ricky Gervais, comes over to Gary's house to interview Gary, and Ricky wants to get the interview done, and he is amped, and he is fired up to be meeting one of his legends, and they're in Gary's kitchen, and Ricky is just like talking a mile a minute, and Gary is just like, uh, you can just see it. It's like, when I saw the scene, it was like the first half of my life and the second half of my life. You know, the first half of your life, you're striving, you're pushing, you're achieving, you got to get things done, you got to fit things, production, efficiency, you got to fit things in order. Got to get it all in on the schedule and then make more and show people that you're on it. And then you have those moments that destroy you. They smash you to pieces and you come out the other side in the second half of life, which is about the experience. It's like, wait, 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 we're not rushing at all. We're just here. We're here. What a gift. How amazing this is. There's a, there's a scene in the kitchen where... Ricky is so amped up to do the interview, and he's in the home of his legend, Gary Shanley, and Gary Shanley's like, can we just take a minute? And all Gary Shanley wants to do is bring Ricky Gervais into the present moment. It's not about getting the interview done. It's not about being productive. It's not about capturing something meaningful on film. It's about us. You know what I mean? He's like, you can just see him with his whole being. He just has no time for this impatient, restless, pushing, anxious. He just, it's like he's doing everything he can to just help Ricky be here now. And that scene, man, that's a total, you will see my hind parts. <laughs> you will see my hind parts, that scene, because that just captures it all. 
Yeah, yeah. So what happens in the ancient Near East at this time is the gods are very straightforward. What? You're trying to get pregnant? Yeah, go over to the, the god of making love or product or fertility. <laughs> the god of making love. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to have some babies? Yeah, that god over there. That's the mother goddess. She'll help you, you know, do all that. And oh, what? Well, you need your crops? You're having problems with your crops? Oh, well, go to the, go to the grain god. Go to the god of fertility. That's, go to the god of abundance, crop. Uh, rain god, the, the sun god. Yeah, that's how it works. And then along comes this new understanding. You can see people wrestling with it. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? Trust? Goodness? Step by, wait, something I can't comprehend, but I'm invited to rest in? Well, that's just a new idea. Wait, 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 there's a goodness here? We've been liberated from what we've been enslaved to, and now we're invited to pass that liberation along to others as long as we keep remembering rest, grace, not in our power, but in a trusting reliance on a power greater than ourselves. You can see why these ideas, you can see why these stories, I would argue, are more powerful than ever. These, these, these anxieties and fears are still lurking in the human story, and we're still being invited to trust and move beyond them, to transcend them. And Moses is like, what do you like? What do you like? What do you like? And this new depth of being, this new divine, this new understanding emerges like goodness, glory. In fact, in fact, here, hang out. Just hang out right there in the cleft of the rock and the glory will pass by. And then you can see where it just was. You will see my hind parts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. seriously, raise your glasses, double fist on this one. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And that, my friends, is a few thoughts. That's a meditation on the nature of spiritual experience. May you, my brothers and sisters, my Robcast brothers and sisters, may you make peace with the polarity, the paradox at the heart of it all, the known and the unknown, the questions and the answers the revealed and the hidden, the glimpse and that which is unglimpsed, that which you see and that which you can't see. May you make peace with this truth at the heart of the experience of what it means to be human. May you have great patience, remembering that the goodness of the divine reveals to you what you can bear. So let today's lesson let today's truth, let whatever this teacher is that's been brought to you today, whoever, whatever it is, uh, may you have the patience to, to just let spirit go to work on your insides with this. And then tomorrow might be something else, might be more of this. That's how it works. It unfolds like that, bit by bit. The mercy, the grace of it is that you're given what you can bear. And then... Uh, when you find yourself trying to pin down the butterfly, may uh, you not stick another pin in, but may you remember that the miracle, the mystery, the joy is the flight, the, the juice, the mojo, the point is the experience. And if the analyzing and explaining helps, wonderful. I mean, obviously that's what's going on in this podcast, and yet... May uh, you be slower to analyze because the experience is just that deep and rich and sustaining. And may grace 
and peace be with you.